Hello everyone, Happy New Year and welcome back to HR Zone's All Hands on Tech podcast. I'm Becky Norman, the editor of HR Zone, and joining our host Dr. Max Bloomberg today to discuss all things leadership is Rita Trahan, a business transformation expert and former CHRO. It's a huge topic to explore in such a short space of time, but Max and Rita dive right in by exploring Rita's experience of moving up the career ladder as an Indian woman. They also explore some of the biggest challenges leaders face today, where HR leaders are often going wrong, and why organisational readiness should be your focus for 2020. I really hope you enjoy the discussion with Max and Rita today, and if you do, please do share, like and comment to help us spread the word. If you haven't subscribed, make sure you do so to get a notification of our next episode as well. Thanks everyone and happy listening. Hello, everyone, and welcome to HR Zone's All Hands on Tech podcast. I'm Max Bloomberg. For our first episode in 2020, joining us is Rita Trahan, founder and CEO of Dare Worldwide, helping Fortune 200 companies and large corporations worldwide to transform their businesses. With over 30 years working with and consulting to global companies such as Honeywell International, AES Corporation and AGL Energy as a senior executive and CHRO, Rita believes that HR must be seen as business-centric rather than function-centric. Well, a very warm welcome to you, Rita, and thank you so much for joining us. And thank you very much for having me on the show. I'm looking forward to it. Mm, likewise. So, Rita, having you know read through some of your work and some of your television work and uh, some of the really interesting articles you've written for newspapers like The Independent, tell us a little bit about how you got to where you are today. Who is the person behind Rita Trahan? Yeah, so that's a great question to begin with. Um, I guess the, the person behind Rita Trahan probably hasn't changed very much from in some of the core values and things that have always been important to me. So I grew up in a business uh, family. So business has always been, I think, core to something that I'm very passionate about. So I think that's where my career first started from. Uh, I am hugely passionate about what people can do and leadership and how leadership can drive both the performance of companies, but also really nurture and grow talent. So the essence of who I am, I think, is a is a mix of who I am as a person when where I grew up. So my family upbringing, my parents are immigrants from who came to the UK back in the 60s uh, from India. And so at a very young age, I think I always learned about how to understand and listen and learn about people and differences because we were different at that time. And and business, I think that, again, that's been, as I said before, that's been really passionate about what I do and finding the really tough challenges. So I kind of like to do those things that most people turn away from. I started my career in HR not knowing, like most people, uh, I never thought, oh, that's it. I'm going to go do have a career in HR. That's what I'm going to do. It wasn't really first and foremost, um, top of mind. But having got into the profession, I've never looked back because I think other than being the CEO of a business, which I am today, I don't think there's any other role that offers the same kind of opportunity, challenge and influence around change. What's interesting there is that, you know, HR might be sort of seen as traditionally 
it's been a sort of a more female role. And I think even at universities today, we're still finding more female students than male students. But leadership has traditionally been a male-dominated role. So it, it's quite refreshing and quite pleasant to have a female, you know, albeit an Indian female as well, um, being such a leader in the field of leadership transformation. How did that come to you? Again, that kind of came very early on. So I was lucky enough to be given quite a lot of leadership responsibility early on in my career. And that kind of progressed um, in the opportunities that I actually took myself. So I think one of the things I often coach leaders around is don't wait for somebody to give you the opportunities to learn something new or to try something new or to test out an idea or a thought. Because if you wait, you may end up waiting too long. And I think that tenacity of wanting to try different things and pushing the boundaries probably got me into some of those first leadership roles. And you make an interesting comment about here I am, um, you know, an Indian woman in a leadership role. And yes, I held senior leadership positions, executive level positions in fortune companies and listed companies around the world. And I, you know, I confess, I often have this discussion with um, other people, just in general friends, but also with women in organizations to say, you know, there was a part of me at one point in time where I really didn't um, pay enough attention, I think, to actually the barriers that do exist in organisations today for women and their ability to sort of move up and grow and develop as leaders within companies and not just in companies, but in society and politics um, and in non sort of political organisations as well. And I, I think because I had such a fast track very early on, I kind of let it sort of fester in the back, almost like be in the background. But ha when I left my first very senior executive role, I, I can remember a young woman who worked for me at the time, who I actually asked to present at an executive level meeting because I said, well, you know more about this subject than I do. So off you come, come with me. We're going to go and present to the CEO and the team. It was a really big uh, presentation. It was around a very big topic. Uh, she'd never done that before. And she nailed it. And when I left, I met up with her about a month or two later. And she talked about what she was experiencing in the organization at that time, as she was being managed by male leaders, and how, in fact, she felt very much like her confidence was being undermined, that they were very dismissive of her, and that opportunity. And that was a real aha moment for me, around the value of diversity and leadership. And it did, it did bring about change in how I started to think about that, both from a personal perspective, but also in how I sort of coached people in the organisations that I was in at the time to really um, spend time and thinking about it and not just assume that it's not happening because, you know, I, I could then reflect actually back on times where, you know, I was probably not necessarily discriminated against, but probably let things go that in hindsight I shouldn't have done not for me personally, but for those that followed me. So I hope, and it's kind of a little bit of a pitch around diversity, and it's not just about gender, it's about all of the different thoughts and ideas and experiences that people bring together. I really do hope that we can find a way to solve this problem. It's something that I, it's a question I pose to all of these fabulous entrepreneurs that are doing great things today and earning loads of money, which is if you can solve a technology problem and bring about an amazing product and bring it to market, in less than a few months, how can it be that we can't solve a problem that's been around for years and years and years 
and we think it's going to take us another 50 years to solve. How much of your identity as a woman do you think are women able are they able to retain their women as an identity or retain your identity as an Indian woman if you want to succeed as a leader or do you have to change yourself and not truly be who you are? For me personally, I'm, I won't compromise who I am or what I am or what I bring to the table because that's the part of the, the essence of who I am as a person. So what you get is me, the good, the bad and the ugly. You know, I'd love to say it's all perfect, but it never is. So um, I'm pretty self-aware about that stuff. But you have to be true to your core. I mean, the best leaders in the world are those that really personify the trust, that, that their principles hold true, that... They say the things that they say the things that they mean and they follow through on those things. So I think if women feel that they have to compromise who they are or what they are or how they behave or how they act, we are not helping solve that problem. We have to find a way to find avenues to tackle those kinds of situations and not wait for them. A bit like my career, not wait for somebody to solve that problem for you or to um, sort of acquiesce and just kind of fit in. Because if, if everyone just fits in, we lose so much. We lose so much of the innovation and the ideas and the experience that people can bring to the table. So I guess a long answer to that is no, you don't have to compromise who you are or what you are. I really worry when I look at some, you know, leadership in organizations about the authenticity uh, of the leadership, you know, and if authentic means that you bring your individual self uh, to the table, um, you know, even if you look at, you know, sort of the Tories at the moment uh, under Boris Johnson, who who you wrote a very interesting piece about, um, you know, they all seem to be singing all off the same sheet. And although they might all look different, uh, mentally, their attitudes are different. Now, do you want a leadership team that thinks the same, speaks the same, does the same. Um, is that authentic? Is that genuine leadership? I don't think that's genuine leadership. And if you look at what the world is facing right now, we've never been in a situation, uh, you know, in our history, really, where we are being presented with time, with such times of disruption and change and uncertainty that, that's continuing. It's not something that's going to go away. So I think within that sort of environment that you're operating in, we absolutely need leadership teams that come together that have real differences because if you don't have those differences you very rarely get to think about a new innovation or a new idea or you find that people aren't challenged enough and they they sort of get to believe in their own self-importance in their own ego and then and then that, that's when you start to get into leadership situations that don't end up in a good place so I do encourage leaders to really look around and it's not just about the leadership teams that they have. It's also around the networks and people that they're engaging with externally. So how are you really expanding your fields of information, the type of information that you get, the people that you engage with, the people that you get to listen to and understand, because that's where you get the best grounded view to be able to make decisions because that's what a leader's role is, is to be able to make really good decisions today, um, often with very limited knowledge or data around what the outcome might be. So so what are some of the challenges that we are seeing leaders face today and, and how well do you think they are equipped to deal with them? Um, well, I can probably name about seven of them off the top of my head. Um, number one, I think, obviously, is just the pace of change. Um, we, you know, 
if, if people are still thinking back to the third industrial revolution, well, you know, I'm sorry to tell them the fourth industrial revolution is already upon us. And not only is it upon us, the, the rate of technology change that is happening is disrupting markets in ways that we haven't seen before. Companies that were listed on the stock exchange that used to be there for years and years and years are no longer there. Tech companies are sort of leading the wave in terms of new industries and new new sort of products and services. So that's a big issue for companies today is how do you how do you address the technology and change that is happening so quickly? Um, I think there is, you know, we are starting to see com- a, a sort of a loosening of loyalty to companies and industries. The, the idea of people now seeking sort of experiences rather than careers. I've got a little bet on with myself that we will see the end of, of careers in the not too distant future that organizations won't be thinking about career paths anymore. They will be thinking about how do I get the best talent that I need in the way that I need it and in the way that people want to be able to provide their expertise and their skills. I think we're also sort of dealing with people now in today's workplace. They're looking for companies that are, that have a higher purpose than just making a profit. Making a profit is good. I'm all for making money. I think that helps the economies grow but people want more. They want companies that are committed to solving some of the global issues that we see and they and they align themselves to that. It's almost like a trust, um, I guess, barometer, if you like, that people look at. And I think the people are also thinking about like what are the kind of sectors that they want to work that working. You know, we're seeing so much now on climate change and dirty sort of industries. That's that's really sort of coming to the fore. So I think those those industries and organizations have an uphill battle today to really thinking about how they reposition their place in the marketplace and last but not least i mean the over we're overdue aren't we on the challenges around the woke world you know from gender pay gap to gender imbalances in leadership to the me too campaigns to all of the other things that we're seeing you know rightly so um there is now much more both data, information, and knowledge about these things. And we can't hide behind legislation as to be the answer for that. Um, I could go on, we could talk about the the democratization of social media and how that's playing a a role in sort of brand identity and what's happening around that. Um, And that people are now, risk is playing a whole different role from what it used to play in companies in the past. Companies used to think about financial risk um, or data risk. Now there's a whole host of, reputational risk that's at, that, that's at stake. So there's lots of things like that. Um, you know, we've got five generations coming together. If, if, it, if we weren't sort of like overwhelmed with all of the other things that are going on, we're trying to get people with very different lifestyles, with very different skills and capabilities to come together and figure out how that, that comes together. So I guess in the words of somebody else, not mine, it's all about people, planet and profit. Those are the three things that companies need to be really paying attention to today. So why do you think that, you know, the emphasis on profit is going to be slightly diminished? I mean, we're always, we're always you know, from a, a people and an HR perspective, we're always saying invest more uh, in people. And we often hear investors saying, no, you know, rather put that money back into our dividend. Um, so why do you think there's going to be less of an emphasis on profit and, and what will happen to the additional funds? So I don't think it's a less emphasis on profit. Because I think the profit that you generate comes from having 
a great workplace, a great culture that actually drives the innovation that you need. So I don't necessarily see it as like, hey, if that, that you know, you are sacrificing one for the other. The two should actually really meet um, and be intertwined together. So if you have a higher purpose and that's linked to where your strategy is, you can really make a difference. I often have, I've spent, I can't tell you how many hours I've spent arguing with CEOs around how much time they spend looking at technology investments and the rigor that they put behind that. And then I ask them what their social responsibility budget is. And, you know, it's probably in the same magnitude. And then I say to them, would you spend the same rigor looking at how you're spending that money and whether that's really helping to enhance your brand, grow your capability, build more products, innovations, and contributing to a higher purpose? Is purpose really important when you're being a leader? What happens if your purpose is different to the purpose of the organization that you're supposedly leading? Well, there's a difference between your personal purpose. So what do I want to get personally out of my career or my work or my personal life and what I want to achieve and what you're trying to achieve as an organization? Ideally, when you join a company or you lead a company, particularly at those exec levels, you really want to be aligned to where that company's going because you're setting that. If you're the CEO or on the senior exec team, if you're the chief HR officer, you're setting that strategic direction. And so if you can't connect to that purpose and or the organization can't help you tell that story to make that connection, it's really hard for someone to contribute or feel like they are giving something. So um, you can have differences, but they have to have some alignment. Hence the comment about, you know, people are being are asking the questions about what kind of sectors that, that they want to work in. Some people are saying, look, I don't want to work in the energy sector. It's not it's not good. It's like it's dirty coal. It's like causing all the problems that we've got in climate change. So you are seeing people make choices about what they do and how they do it. I think the the, the role of a senior exec is how do you tell the story that connects people to what your organization is about? and what you're trying to do to get people to follow you, to want to be on that path, to want to make that difference, that that they're excited by it. That That's when you get purpose that, that matters. And, and on the subject of people, because we're going to start talking about HR um, in a sec, but, you know, do people still have as much of a future in organizations with the advent of AI and machine learning, et cetera? Oh, absolutely. So I'm a massive believer that technology, despite all the doom and gloom that, you know, 50% of jobs would disappear and, oh my God, everything's going to, no one's going to have any work. Like there, there is so much opportunity that comes with the technology transformations that are, are happening. So how we embrace that, those companies that are looking at it from that, from that angle are the ones that are going to be the success players in the future. Um, I absolutely believe that. And I think that there's a huge amount to be gained if companies really harness technology well and don't just jump on the bandwagon. I was going to say the Me Too bandwagon, but now that has different connotations to it. But, um, but, but you know, of like, oh my God, we've got to digitize our customer process because everyone's digitizing their customer process. You know, you really have to be thoughtful about technology. But what AI can offer across all sectors, not just even in industry. And I had a conversation in the education sector about just imagine like robots in the future being able to sit in classrooms so that teachers are actually being able to do coach and mentor and that maybe that robot's like 
looking at a child that hasn't spoken for an hour and he's able to give some clues as to you know what's really going on in the classroom so that teachers can actually focus on things that they really want to do which is to really grow and prepare people for the future so massive believer in technology the risk is that there is so many different strands of it many boards and ceos don't understand it all um understandably because there is so much out there and um, so the risk is to either ignore it um to follow others uh, and or just to hope and pray that the one that you pick is the right sort of lever and none of those will work it has to be a holistic view around what technology artificial intelligence natural language robotics you name it and intelligent automated processes what they bring to your organization and how they create growth innovation and and new products and services it's tough it's not easy so if we believe as you do uh, that people are critical to the future of the organization why have we always felt always this perceived disconnect between the HR leadership and the C-suite? You know, do you feel that there's a disconnect? And if there is, what does HR need to do to address that? Well, I think um, I'll answer that comment with a, I guess, a statement first, if that's all right, which is um, now is the time for HR to really have a stake in the game because every issue that is confronting businesses today um, has a people or culture component to it. And so when you look at all of those things that we've just talked about, they all have some connection with people and organization and culture. And that's, that's the sweet spot for HR. The issue that we still have as a function, and it saddens me, it's partly why I left the corporate world, because I decided that, you know, passionate as I am about the function, and there are some brilliantly talented HR people, the reality is we really haven't, if you look at how businesses have transformed and changed, we haven't really changed in the same way. And if I was the CEO, and I was looking at HR as a business line today, and I looked at it over the years that I'd had it and the money that I'd invested in it, I'd probably do one of three things. I'd either sell it off to somebody that might want it, um, I'd probably merge it with some other business line and say, what can we do to get the best of it? And or I would really hone it down to just providing the core expertise that it can deliver. And then I would, you know, go and buy in the rest. Now, that's a really sad, sad um, sort of end to a story of a, of a fabulous, what I think is a fabulous career, fabulous um, role and a fabulous opportunity. So... The answer to that is to not let that happen. And the way that that doesn't happen is for us actually understanding these issues and coming in and talking about them from a business perspective first. You know, a great example for me is when I hear HR leaders talking about HR analytics, because I, I say to them, really, why are we talking about HR analytics? Let's talk about what analytics and predictive analytics can do across the entire organization. Because if you start from that conversation first, you will get the attention of the organization because that's our sweet spot. That's where we should start. The HR analytics will come 
But we fall back on our function comfortness, which says, oh, I know what to do with HR analytics. How do I provide a perspective on what's the impact of data analytics on our operating model? It's a whole different question. And that's what we need to start to get really comfortable with as a function. We've really got to start to understand these these issues that are going on, but then also be being being the one that that makes those interconnections, if you like, that that we are the the connector, the weaver, um, the networker of all of those elements to bring them together, so that we can we can apply some expertise and some judgment and come at it from a business perspective. That's what I, you know, I am advocating very strongly for, and I think we can get there. We've got a great opportunity. We've got to really do what every other business has done that has, has been able to reinvent itself. So we're saying, you're saying really then that HR people need to think more like business people. What What is the message then for HR? Go out and learn about business? I think like, you know, many of them will say, but I already, I've already learned about business. So I know how the numbers work. But if I was to say to them, well, how many of you actually listen to any of your investor calls? How many of you actually go and visit like your real customers? How many of you actually know what the latest technology transformation is going on? How, how, many, how many of you know how many different transformation projects are going on in your organization today? And what's that's costing your organization? If you are asking those kinds of questions and understanding it from that perspective, you have a much better opportunity to go in and have a strategic discussion around, hey, look, we're putting out, you know, millions of pounds or dollars on these initiatives. They're all working in silos. How do we connect them together so that we can leverage the strengths of all of those things? So it's, it's, it's a bit, if I feel like when um, it sounds like it's about just go learn the business, that that's a bit glib in a way because people will say they understand business. I think it is almost challenging everything that you know and do today and saying, how would I do it differently? You know, if I think about talent management, we've been doing talent management the same way. Most companies are using the, you know, the infamous nine block grid. They'll change it. They'll put their own flavor on it. They'll, you know, change the words on it. But CEOs have been telling us for the last 20 years that, you know, one of their top three problems every year is wondering if they've got the talent capability to lead their organizations forward. That must tell us something. If I'm a customer and I don't like what I see, I don't go back to the place to buy it. So we have to think much more about who our stakeholders are in a way that I, you know, I challenge us to, to really do and not just through a HR lens, I guess. You spoke there about transformations. So many people have an experience that transformations are things that don't often go as planned. Do you find that transformations often go wrong? And, and if so, why? And they often go wrong. I think about like 70%, 75%, and that's still true today with all the digital transformations that are going on. Um, it is still proving to be the case that, you know, probably three quarters, if not more, of large scale and even small scale transformations fail. The reason why they fail is because they typically start trying, they typically start by thinking of the product or solution or technology or um, the end solution versus thinking about organizational readiness. So how ready is our organization 
to actually take this transformation and make it work. And so rather than it being at the end and going, oh, we better now like get together and think about like, hmm, we've just implemented all of these like, you know, cobots and artificial intelligence. So we've got to change the role of the people that were doing those roles. Hmm, what are we going to do now? What are we going to do with all of these people? And thinking about it at the end, it's really starting to think about organizational readiness now and saying, well, what does this mean for how well does this transformation align with our higher purpose and what we're trying to do? How well, how agile is our organization? So are we still trying to structure org charts when actually we might need to have a very different operating model? Are we thinking about that? Are we thinking about things from an end-to-end perspective? So rather than like HR thinking about all their transformations and IT thinking about their transformations and the business line thinking about their operational transformations, are we taking an end-to-end view of how all of these things link together? Because ultimately they will. Um, How are we thinking about our stakeholders, our ecosystem? I know lots of people don't like that word anymore. Um, I claim that I was using it before it became a buzzword, but who knows? Um, But really thinking about who is your ecosystem? Like no longer is it about, you know, beat all your competitors and you will be successful. It's like, how can you like leverage your competitors or your suppliers or your community and create more momentum, more scale, more advantage? And lastly, I think it is about leadership. Without a doubt, you have got to be willing to make the right calls about people and the tough calls because that's the hardest thing to do. And you often find that's the thing where it really falls down. It's when we just don't want to take that step to say, actually, in this situation, for this time, this person might be absolutely fabulous, but not for what we need right now. And you have to make those calls. You can do it in a way that aligns with your purpose, with your values, with who you are as an organization. But great leaders are able to do that. They think of it as nurturing. Very interesting. Um, I mean, all of this clearly is going to require a lot of agility on the part of the organization um, to be able to do the turnaround, to be able to bring um, information and to bring all of the data on board. Um, how do you become more agile? Is it a competency? Is it a skill? Is it something that leaders have to learn? Where, where do you get agility from? Some of it, I think, comes from um, some like core capabilities that you bring Um, to the table. So there are some things that I think we are seeing more and more as being really needed in the world that we operate in today. Um, To give you a practical example, some work that I actually did with one of the organizations that I worked with was to actually rethink their kind of capabilities. What do do we really need in leadership capabilities and and kind of thinking across them from different strands and, and getting people to really think about them not in traditional kind of competency model um, ways of thinking, but saying like, what is, what is it that really is going to be successful? So, you know, we talked about being adventurous, which is, you know, having that thirst for curiosity and a desire to really look at things very differently and seek out different avenues and data and insights, because I think that is absolutely critical because we, you know, we can't rely anymore and you can, you can see it happening 
black swans are no longer black swans anymore. I don't know what we're going to call them now because they happen every day. But you have to be able to have the ability to develop lots of scenarios so that you can pivot and change depending on what comes it comes in front of you. You know, I don't think Boris Johnson's going to think, you know, was thinking he was going to start his leadership and hit, you know, an, a major international crisis in the, like, you know, the first few weeks of coming on board. So those kind of things that happen that are unexpected, you have to have, if you don't have them yourself, because it's not saying that everybody has to embody every capability, you better make sure that you've got a team of people around you that, have the ability to sort of like think about multiple options and multiple scenarios so that you can play those out. So I think that's one. I think being bold is another. You have to be bold. You have to be willing to, um, you know, make a choice too often in uncertain times. What we see leaders do is the, the sit and wait game. You know, they, you know, the retail industry is going through that crisis right now. We can see it. Like they've been playing the sit and wait game so long about what's going to happen with the online retail business and look what's happening to that industry it's being destroyed so you have to be able to be bold and take you know risk but those risks have to be risks that you think about the consequences of that you can then manage if it and change if they don't work out so being able to say like you know what we tried it it didn't work we lost money we we called it early and we've moved on Amazon did it, Google did it, you know, they've all launched product products, they've cut them quickly and said, nope, that didn't work. But you've got to have that ability to try and push those boundaries. So I think some of those, I could go on, there's loads, but um, they are probably some of the key ones. I, I can hear that it absolutely energizes you, which is amazing. And uh, it's been a really interesting discussion. Just as we close off, what's your parting advice to uh, leaders that uh, might be listening to, to today's uh, interview? Um, I guess carpe diem, seize the day. Right? You know, today's the day. I mean, really, like, you know, and do, you know, if there's one one piece of advice I have for CEOs, it's just step back for like five minutes and just think about your organizational readiness because I can guarantee you, you, you are putting a lot of money on the table right now. And I would really, really urge you to be really looking at that. And if you are in HR, go ask them that question. Go ask them about or do your own assessment around what that organizational readiness looks like for your organization today. And then go and talk about it and have discussions with people and get their input and get engaged in the conversation. I think that is wonderful advice. Um, and I've really enjoyed uh, our conversation today. Uh, Rita Trahan, thank you so much for joining the All Hands on Tech podcast. Well, thanks for having me. I've enjoyed it. Thank you very much, Max. Thank you. That was Max and Rita getting to the heart of what should really matter for leaders today. I hope as a CEO, HR leader, or as someone who is working hard to move up the ranks, that you found the conversation as aspiring and motivational as I did. Thank you so much, Rita, for joining us on the podcast. Remember to like, share, comment, subscribe. It's always great to get your feedback on thoughts on our episodes. And we hope to see you next time. Thanks, everyone.